everybody here today. If you're new to our church, my name is Greg Johnson. I have the privilege of serving here as lead pastor. If you're joining us at Mission Church Online, God bless you. It's great to have you with us as well. Take your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Acts as we continue our series in that book. Hallelujah. The book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 2, and uh, we are at a point in, uh, in history, in the history of the gospel, where Christ has risen from the dead. The day of Pentecost has come. The Holy Spirit has been poured out, and Peter steps up and he preaches a message to declare that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. And this is the beginning. This is the birth of what we now know as the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. It is not a new religion. It is a movement. Can you all say movement? It is a movement of people whose lives have been radically transformed by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit. And it is a movement that continues today. Amen? That you and I are a part of. This is not another system, what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 2, is not another system of rules and rituals and, and religious machinery. The biblical church, the New Testament church, the church of Jesus Christ is marked by the power and the presence of the living, moving, active God. That He is alive among us. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. And he is still moving in his church today. Amen. That's what we want, right? We want the power and the presence of God to be moving in our church and in our lives today. Not like R.T. Kendall said. He said that, he said that if the Holy Spirit were removed from the church today, 90% of church work would go on as though nothing at all had happened. Let that not be the testimony of our church or our lives. Amen? What God intended for His church, and what we see in Acts chapter 2, is that we, you and I, be a people who are baptized in fire and who are empowered by the living God every day. Acts chapter 2, verse 37, we're going to be looking there. Acts chapter 2, verse 37, to the end of the chapter is going to be our text. And we are going to see and talk about a church on fire for God. The church on fire for God. We're going to look at the marks of a biblical church. A church that's on fire, that is moving in the Spirit of God. Now we understand that the church is not a building, amen? The church is the people. The church is you and me. So this actually is more about the marks of a people, of, of a person who is on fire for God. A biblical people on fire for God. And it begins in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, where it says, 
when they heard this, they heard the message that Peter was preaching. They heard the word of God preached. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent. Amen. What shall we do? How do we respond to the gospel? Peter said what? What did he say, church? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a believer on fire for Jesus? It begins with repentance, number one. Repentance. And Peter said to them, repent. Too many churches today, too many pastors today do not use the word repent enough. We don't hear this word, this term enough in the church today. We emphasize faith. We emphasize confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And yes, we need to confess our sins. And yes, we need to have faith. But you cannot, listen, you cannot come to Christ without repentance. The people said, what must we do? And the very first word out of Peter's mouth was, repent. Amen. Right? Coming to Christ is not an intellectual act. It is not just agreeing with a few points of doctrine, right? The Greek word for repent is a directional term. It was used actually by people on boats, the the Greek word there, to declare a change in direction, specifically a reversal of 180 degrees, where someone was going in this direction, and they would repent, and they would turn, and they would go in the exact opposite direction. That's what the word repent means. It means that you realize that the Holy Spirit has quickened you to understand that the direction of your life is going in opposition to the will of God. That you are living in opposition to the will of God for the flesh. And to repent means to change your way. It means to go into the opposite direction and to align your life with the will of God. That's what it means to repent. It means to feel sorrow for sin. It's an emotional act. It is a volitional act. It is something where we intend in our will now to align ourselves with the plan of God. Repent. Everybody say repent. Repent. And repentance is something that the Holy Spirit brings to our minds. God grants repentance. It's called provenient grace. It's when the Holy Spirit starts to draw someone. How many remember that? How many remember when the Holy Spirit started to get a hold of you and started to open your eyes and open your mind and open your ears and you began to understand, I am lost. I am a sinner. I am separated from God and I need a Savior. And if I don't get saved, I will spend my life in eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And when you realize that, you were quickened with that knowledge. You had no alternative. You had no option but to repent of sin and align your life with the will of God. How many remember that? If you don't remember that, my friend, you know what you need to do? You need to repent. (laughs) Amen. And I pray the Holy Spirit quickens our hearts to that truth. But Peter did not just say repent. He said repent and be 
baptized. That's the second thing that we see in a church on fire. Not just repentance, but baptism. Water baptism is a demonstration of repentance. If you have not repented, you should not be baptized. Because water baptism, it's an outward sign. It It is a public statement that you have identified with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that the old man went down into the water and was buried. That old person who you used to be was buried with Jesus in the grave. But now a person of new life has risen up, has come up out of the water, and now is walking in a way that pleases God and that is aligned with the will of God. That's what water baptism shows. It is a demonstration of repentance. And why is that necessary? Why is it necessary for us to have a water baptism event where people get in the water, get buried under the water, and come up out of the water? Simply because it is a public demonstration. Jesus never intended that our faith be personal and private. How many understand that? Some people say, well, don't talk about faith. Don't talk. That's a private thing. You know, well, yeah, it is, it is something that happened to me privately, but you know what? It's not supposed to be hidden. We're not supposed to hide our faith. When a church is on fire, when a people are on fire for God, they cannot shut their mouths about Jesus Christ. Hello, church? Amen? And if there's not something burning in your heart, to reveal to the people around you that you have a Savior whose name is Jesus and that they need that same Savior, then, my friend, you need to get back under the fire of the Holy Spirit. Hello? You need to get back under the fire of the Holy Spirit and allow God to quicken in your heart a burden for lost people who are separated from God and on their way to hell. That's what it means to be a church on fire. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. Jesus never intended for us to be quiet about our faith. Hello? I'm talking about co-workers. I'm talking about family members. I'm talking about neighbors. I'm talking about people that you just happen to have a conversation with in the grocery store. Wherever you go, whoever you encounter, see it as a divine appointment where someone needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that God has put his spirit on you to be able to share that gospel with them. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about a church on fire. I'm talking about a people on fire for God. Right? Publicly demonstrating their... See, it's not, just a, it's not enough to just repent in our hearts privately. To repent requires declaration. It requires demonstration. Why? Because for all of our lives, people have watched us live ungodly lives. And now God wants us to make it very clear that that man is dead. And the new man that you're seeing is a follower of Jesus Christ. Unashamed, unafraid. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Don't be ashamed. Don't, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Hello? Amen. In the New Testament church, water baptism was the norm. Listen to this. In the New Testament church, there was no such thing as an unbaptized follower of Jesus Christ. It didn't exist. When someone got saved, when they repented, they made a public identification with Jesus Christ. And that's why we're having a water baptism service. We mentioned it earlier on June 2nd, Wednesday night. 
water baptism. If you have not been baptized, you need to obey the command of Scripture to be baptized in water and to make your faith public. Amen. I need my amen button up here. Amen, right? You say, well, I was baptized as a baby. That's great. Awesome. Hallelujah. I'm so glad you were baptized as a baby. But a biblical baptism is something that you choose to do. It is an act of your own will. It's something where you decide for yourself. When you were a baby, you didn't choose for yourself. Your mama chose for you, okay? And listen, you're not going to get into heaven because your mama's opening the door for you. You're going to get into heaven because you made a choice to make Jesus your Savior. And that's what water baptism is. So it's great that you were baptized as a baby. But you know what? Now that you made a choice to repent, you need to make a choice to be water baptized. Hello? Amen? Yeah? All right. What else does it mean to be a church on fire, a Christ follower on fire? Verse 38, repent and be baptized, uh, Peter says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit For the promise is to you, who's the promise to? To you and me. And to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What does it mean to be a church on fire? It means to pursue the promise of the Father. It means that I will not be content until I have everything that God has for me. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to come behind. I don't want to lack anything. I don't want to get to heaven and realize that God says, I had so much more for you. I don't want to miss out on any promise. It means to walk in the promise of the Father, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, we've been talking about this, talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not regeneration. It is distinct from and subsequent to the act of regeneration where you get saved, born again, and the Spirit of God comes in you. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is when God holds you under the waterfall of His presence and He continues to pour and pour and pour in into you until what's in you as regeneration begins to rise out of you and out of your innermost being springs rivers of living water to such an extent that everyone around you sees that there's something powerful, there's something dynamic, there's something flowing in, out, and through your life. That's what this world needs, church. That's what this world needs. Amen? This world needs a church that is radically on fire for Jesus Christ, seeing that there are people whose lives have been transformed by a living, moving, active God. That's what this world needs. Amen? And if you have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then you need to keep asking. You need to keep seeking. You need to keep knocking. You need to keep believing that God has more for you. Everybody say more. Amen? Some say, well, that was for the New Testament. That was... Listen, anything God did at one time, he'll do again. Anything God did for one people, he'll do for another people. The question is this, will you believe the word of God? Will you believe the pattern that we see in the scripture? Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. We see all throughout the scriptures where Acts chapter, Acts chapter 9, we see all throughout the book of Acts where God baptized his people with the Holy Spirit. He has that for you as well. Stay hungry. Come on, tell somebody, stay hungry. Stay hungry. Amen? Amen. What else does it mean to be a biblical church, an on-fire Christ follower? Verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. 
Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. What a day. Amen? I can't wait to get to heaven. I want to, I'm going to ask Jesus to roll the tape on that one. I want to see that. 3,000 people cut to the heart by the Holy Spirit, repenting before God, being converted, hallelujah, and being baptized. Isn't that amazing? So what does it mean? It means that we be a people who are adding souls to the kingdom. Adding souls, you and I have been given a mandate to win souls to the kingdom, to be a soul winner for Jesus Christ. This is what the New Testament church was all about. These people, they were driven. As you read through the book of Acts, you see that they were driven by the reality that their friends and their family members were lost. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Lost, separated from God. And because they loved them and because they cared about them, they told them about a God who loved them and a Jesus who died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead and offers them the gift of eternal life. And they brought their friends and their family members to Jesus. We need to be about our Father's business. Amen? Winning lost people to Jesus. And it didn't stop there. Acts chapter 4, verse 4 says, another 5,000 souls were added to the church. In a matter of days, the church grew from 120 to 3,000, and then from 3,000 to 5,000. This was a movement, not a religion, not a denomination. This was a movement that was spreading like wildfire. People were sharing their testimonies. People were declaring their faith in Jesus Christ with everyone, with anyone that they knew, families, coworkers, strangers, anyone on the street who would listen. I mean, these people were unafraid, unashamed. They were boldly declaring that they were followers of Jesus. Could you imagine what would happen if we would get that kind of boldness today? Amen. Listen, what's going to save this nation is not another election and getting the right person into office. That is not the hope of America. The hope of America is a church that is on fire for Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel freely with anyone and everyone that they can. Hallelujah. And listen, it wasn't because all of these new converts understood theology. It's not because they could explain justification and sanctification and vicarious atonement and substitutionary work on the cross. They didn't understand all that theology. All they could say was this, like the blind man, right, in John chapter 5. He said, I'm not exactly sure who Jesus is, but this I know. This I know. I was blind, and now I see. I can't explain everything about the Trinity. I can't explain everything about the Bible, but this I know. I was lost. I was depressed. I was broken. I was in agony. My marriage, my family, my kids were a mess. But Jesus, Jesus came into my life and turned everything around. You see, listen, it's not your ability to explain theology that's going to bring people to Jesus. It's going to be the fire of the testimony of what Jesus has done in your life that's going to attract people to the cross. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of your testimony. Let's be a church on fire. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen. 
What else? What else is there? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What does that mean? It means they were steadfast in learning, in knowing, in studying doctrine. Now, it's great to have a testimony, and that's what the people in this world need to hear. But it can't, our spiritual growth can't stop there. It's not enough to just have a testimony. The Bible says that this New Testament church, the church on fire, it says they continued steadfastly in what? In learning doctrine. You ever hear somebody say, well, I don't, I don't really care about doctrine. I just love Jesus. Did you ever hear that? I don't care about doctrine. The, I just love Jesus. That's nonsense. Don't just say, I love Jesus. Because if you say that, I'm going to ask you a question. Which Jesus? Which Jesus? The, the Jesus of Judaism? The Jesus of Islam? The, the, the Jesus of, of Buddhism? Which Jesus? Because there's a lot of different Jesuses out there. And even in the church, we have all kinds of fake Jesuses that have been set up, right? This is why doctrine is important. It helps us to distinguish between truth and error. Amen? Did you ever hear somebody say, well, my God would never do that, right? Or my Jesus just lets everyone into heaven. Well, that sounds nice, but guess what? It's false doctrine. It's false doctrine. Okay? Because if you're Jesus, if you serve a Jesus who lets everybody into heaven, my friend, his name's not Jesus. I'll tell you who his name is. His name is Satan. Hello? Because Jesus said there's only one way to the Father, and it's through me. Right? Only one way. Only one mediator between God and man and the man Jesus Christ. Only one, Jesus. Okay? That's doctrine. That's understanding doctrine and truth right? Listen, the world is full of lies and, and half-truths and false prophets. Not just the world, the church. Everybody say the church. We are living in a day where the church is saturated with lies, half-truths, and deception. Are you hearing me, Mission Church? And we must be a people who are steadfast in doctrine. That's why I tell you, bring your Bibles when you go to church. Because you don't need stories from a preacher. You don't need funny jokes. You don't need all kinds of, you know, cute little. What you need is the Word of God. We need the truth of God. Amen? We don't need to be entertained. Amen? We need the Word of God. Yes? 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul said, Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved to God, rightly dividing the word of truth. He said in 1 Timothy 4.16, take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will both save yourself and those who hear you. Doctrine is knowing what you believe and why you believe it. Charles Spurgeon said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. And that's the problem. That's the problem with error, is that error is usually wrapped up in just enough truth to make it sound good. Are you hearing me? That's the problem with error. And when you have discernment and when you know doctrine, you are able to recognize where the error is in that half-truth. Amen? 
And as we move through these last days, here in the United States, in the American westernized church, we have got to be a people who can recognize half-truths and false doctrine. Amen? Amen. And not only did they continue in doctrine, it says in verse 42 that they continued in fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Fellowship, breaking in bread, and in prayers. What does that mean? That means that they maintained regular, consistent fellowship. Fellowship. Not just a social gathering, but a spiritual gathering amongst people of like common faith who pursued the same Savior. Amen. It's, be, it's not just being social, it's being social with others who share communion with Christ. It's surrounding yourself with people who have a common love for Jesus Christ. And they edified one another. They provoked one another toward godliness. They encouraged one another in the faith. And they prayed for one another. The church today, listen, we are losing the discipline of prayer in the church today. We are losing the discipline of fasting in the church today. There was a time when Christ followers would say to one another, let me pray for you, and then they would do it. Or they would say, I'm praying for you, and they actually did it. Today when we say I'm praying for you, it's kind of like no different from saying, how you doing? It's just like a greeting. I'm praying for you. And then do we pray for him? No. But in the New Testament church, a church that was on fire, hallelujah, when, they, when somebody shared a burden that they had or a concern that they had or a fear that they had, it's a, you know what, let's pray about it right now. Let's pray right now. Amen? And I'll tell you something, if you become that kind of a person, you'll find out that uh, less people will start telling you their problems. I'm not going to tell him because he's going to want to pray for me, right? Be known as a person, okay? Have that kind of a reputation as someone. You tell, somebody tells you their problems, you're going to pray for them, amen? Be that kind of a person, right? Where we pray for one another and we believe that God is going to do it. Amen. Hallelujah. Here's another one, verse 43. This is for, this is for those of us who are church leaders. Something that we need to see about the on-fire biblical church. It says, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. In other words, this New Testament on fire church had leaders, listen to this, had leaders that believed in the supernatural power of God being demonstrated. Hello? Amen had leaders who believed in a God who still did signs and wonders. Amen. In other words, a biblical church prays for the sick, casts out demons, experiences the miraculous, and believes in a God who is moving and who is active and who manifests His power. Hallelujah. Leaders who say, let God arise and let the enemy be scattered and every lie and every curse and every stronghold of the enemy, let it be scattered because our God stands supreme in our midst. He's not a tired God. He's not a sleeping God. He's not a silent God. He's not a quiet God. He's a God who roars in the midst of his church. Hallelujah. 
leaders who believe that kind of a God. Amen. Now, some people in some churches and even leaders will say, well, the Holy Spirit did that for the apostles only doing, you know, New Testament times when the church was being established. And you know what I say to that? Show me scripture and verse. I don't want to hear your theological contortions. Show me scripture and verse where the power of the Holy Spirit has been rescinded from the church. Show me chapter and verse. You cannot because it does not exist. He says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the Lord. I change not. Hallelujah. The same God of the book of Acts is the God we serve today. Yes. Amen. Charles Finney said, the great sin of the church today is not that we have lost the power of God. It's that we have become content to live without it. And not only that, I take it a step further. And I say not only have we been content to live without it, we have adjusted our theology to accommodate it. We have dumbed down our doctrine to explain the reason for the absence of God's power in our midst. And I say no, no. We serve a God who heals the sick, who works miracles, who casts out demons. Hallelujah. Who answers our prayers. And we need to be a church and we need to be leaders in a church that we lay hands on the sick and the sick are recovered. When someone comes to us and says, I'm afraid, I'm worried, I'm concerned, I have a problem, I have an issue, we say, well, let's pray right now in the name of Jesus and God will touch your life. Amen? Radical leaders. Hallelujah. James 5.14, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So is that, is that scripture, does that only apply to the first century church? Is that, that's no longer for us? It is for us. Hallelujah. The word of God endures forever. That scripture is for us. If you're sick, ask for the leaders to pray. They'll anoint you with oil and God will touch your life. Does anybody believe that? Amen. I'm talking about a church on fire. A church on fire. Hallelujah. What else? A couple more things here and then we're done. Verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Did you see that? What does that mean? That means the church on fire lives generously. They saw, sold all they owned and gave it all to the apostles. Ooh, it's getting quiet in here now. No, no, tell me about healing the sick and casting out devils. Tell me about the power of God. Don't tell me about, don't talk to me about money. The church on fire talked about money. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The New Testament church talked about their money. And they weren't, listen, they weren't commanded. There was no commandment telling them to sell everything. They just did it out of the abundance of their hearts because they were so grateful to God for what He had done in their lives that they lived generously. Hallelujah. Amen? Huge contrast with those of us today who have a hard time just simply giving, a, giving God His tithe. Amen? The tithe, listen, the tithe is the baseline. It's what God requires to demonstrate that He truly has our heart. 
Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Jesus doesn't want our treasure. He wants our hearts. But he knows that our hearts are tied to our treasures. So here's what God does. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour all kinds of good resources and things into your life. But one-tenth of everything that I pour into your life, God says, I reserve for myself. And then I call you to return that tenth to me. Out of everything that I've given you, return one-tenth back to me as a symbol of your surrender to my sovereignty and your obedience to my word. That's what he says. The tithe is the baseline, right? You might say, well, they didn't talk about the tithe that much in the book of Acts. Well, then we'll just talk about the book of Acts and what they did there. 100%. Let's just do that, okay? We'll go from 10%. Because that was the standard in the New Testament. They didn't even talk about that. It was 100%. You hear what I'm, they sold. Okay, so next Sunday, bring the deed to your house. The title to your car. Right? That's what we're talking about here. But God says, no, all all I'm saying is, of everything that I I bless you with, one-tenth is mine. Whether you give it or not, God says, it's mine, God says. And if you don't give it, guess what? You're stealing what belongs to God and using it for yourself, right? Amen. All right, let me move on here. Verse 46 says, They continued daily with one accord in the temple. What was the temple? The temple was the place for public worship, which means they regularly and consistently gathered for public worship. I'm talking about the church on fire. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They regularly and they consistently gathered to publicly worship and exalt their God. Continuing daily. It means it was a priority in their life. Everything else revolved around gathering to worship their king. Hello? What does that mean? That means that the children's athletic schedules were not the anchor that everything else revolved around. Hello? I think we, in, the, in, the, in the American church today, we've got to stop worshiping our children. Ooh, ooh, did I just say that? I was thinking it. I didn't realize it actually came out of my mouth. Right? Where we, we only worship God if we have time. Where we only, we only gather together to give God the audible praise and worship and lift our hands and humble ourselves before Him if it's convenient, if it works out with, 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 our, with our schedule. But they continued daily with one accord. With one accord. What does that mean? That means there was a common hunger that drove them. A hunger for his word. A hunger to learn more about him. A hunger to to experience the presence of God in the midst of the people. And it says they would gather in the temple. Now, not in the temple literally where the Holy of Holies, but in the temple campus. There's a place known as Solomon's Portico which was kind of on the, on the edge of where the court of the Gentiles was. And it was this big, huge portico, and they would gather under there, and the apostles would teach. This was before they actually started to see local churches rise up. The point here is that they were regularly and, they were regularly and consistently gathering together to worship their God. And when they would gather together and worship their God, hallelujah, God would show up in a powerful way. Amen? Listen, we gotta, we've got to get back. We've got to get back to this biblical model of what it means to be. We wonder why there, there's no power in the church. We wonder why there are no healings, no miracles. There's no dynamic. There, we wonder why the church is not, is not turning this nation upside down. I'll give you one reason why. Because the average church member attends church 1.3 times a month. 
1.3 times a month. And we wonder why God's not moving the way that we want him to move. I'll tell you why. Because he's a God of response. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If you seek me diligently, you will find me. You will search me and you'll find me when you search for me with all my heart. But if you're only going to give me 1.3%, well, you're only going to get 1.3% response. Amen. No, pastor, tell us about the power. Tell us about the healings. Tell us about the gifting. What I'm talking about is being a church on fire. And where does that fire come from? It comes from a hunger. It comes from a drive. It comes from a compulsion. It comes from a passion to go after God and not give up until you've laid hold of everything that he has for you. It's bad enough that it makes us weaker and more vulnerable. But look at what it's doing to our kids. We are seeing today the rise of what sociologists call the nuns. Everybody say the nuns. Not the N-U-Ns. I'm not saying your kids are becoming nuns. The nuns as in N-O-N-E-S. The nuns. It describes young people, mostly millennials, born in the 1980s and the 1990s who describe themselves as having no religious affiliation. When asked on surveys about their faith, what faith are you of, they mark none. That's what they mark. So we call them the the nuns. And some of our kids, listen to me, some of our kids are on track to become nuns. No affiliation, no real commitment, no real you know, understanding or embracing of any true faith or doctrine. They develop more of a self-styled, no authority, no pastor, no accountability, no church. Make it up as they go along. This is what I think. This is what I I believe. Whatever's convenient, whatever, whatever I like, right? And understand something. The only reason that we're seeing children, a generation growing up to become nuns, is because we've taught them how to be nuns. We've taught them that you don't need to make the house of God a priority. You don't need to make faith a priority. You don't need to make prayer a priority. We don't even read the Bible in our house. And if our kids growing up like that, listen, if our kids growing up like, are growing up like that, don't, don't, be, don't wonder why when they're 23, 24, 25 years old, they want nothing to do with church or the house of God. Amen? Church, I'm talking about a church on fire. A church on fire that is hungry for everything God has. All right, I need to close. I'm out of time. Let's stand together. The last verse here, the last verse here says, verse 39, I'm sorry, verse 46, they were breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. In other words, they opened up their homes and their lives to one another. Can we get back to doing that? Amen? I rebuke COVID in the name of Jesus. We got to get back. We got to listen. We got to get back to be in the church. Amen? Opening up our homes to one another, opening up our lives to one another. They gathered in the temple. They sat under the apostles' teaching, yes, but that was not enough. Throughout the week, they would gather in homes for deeper fellowship and build stronger relationships. Everyone was connected. No one was left out on their own. They prayed for one another. They loved on one another. They served on for one another. We need to get back to being a church 
on fire. Father, help us today. Help us today, God. We want to be, Lord, the mission church. We want to be a church on fire. Amen? I want to be a Christ follower on fire. Go on, lift up your hand to the Lord right now. If that's you, just say, yes, Lord. I want to be a Christ follower who's on fire. I want to be a Christ follower who's hungry for everything that you have, Lord God. Hallelujah. Make me hungry, God. Go on, church, lift your hands to the Lord right now. I know for some it may feel awkward. It may feel like something you're not used to doing. But you know what? This is not about you right now. This is about the Lord. This is about worshiping Him. It's not about doing what you like to do. It's about doing what blesses Him. Worship's not about God touching you. It's about you touching Him. Lord, we want to touch you right now. We want to worship you right Come on, use your voice right now. Use your voice. Come on, use your voice and give God some praise right now. Just tell Him, say, Lord, I worship you. Lord, I'm hungry for you. Lord, I want to be a church on fire. I want to be a... I want to be a a Christ follower whose life is on fire, God. On fire, Lord. Catch me up in the fire and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's seek Him. Let's seek Him. Let's seek Him right now.